Ladies and gentlemen, a warm welcome to normal to you to this, the hundredth episode of Red Voices. One zero zero. That is absolutely stupidly insane. Entering season number four and it's you and Rich back together again to discuss transfers, the World Cup, anything else United related that takes our fancy. First up, hello to a man with whom I have a lengthy relationship that I think either of us would care to admit. It's what you can. 100 episodes, mate. How the... Did we manage that? I don't know. It's, it feels like a long time ago we did that first one. And we're really nervous. I was nervous anyway. Yeah, that, yeah. that was uh, just after Van Hart, the start of second, Van Hart's second season, wasn't it? Christ. Are we wondering whether or not Di Maria was going to get sold? Yeah, when it's not speak about that again. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, you remember those days, though? Those carefree days of 2015-16 when... There were carefree days when we thought it might just be different, which kind of segues to now, doesn't it? Maybe that, that second LBG season would have been different. Maybe this season, will, maybe this coming season will be different. You don't ah. sound very convinced. I mean, you remember back in those days, you know, we, we were watching Matteo Damian play really well at right back. Yeah, and we brought Morgan Schneider in and thinking, yeah, he might be the answer to our defensive midfield problems. And we signed Bastian Schweinsteiger and we thought this is the best thing that's ever happened to us at all. And we saw his, we saw him grinning on a, on a private jet, didn't we, as he was coming in and we thought, yeah, this is amazing. But it turned yeah. out that he just, he, he just ruined himself at the World Cup and then couldn't run anymore. Yeah, and then, you know, three years later, they're all gone. Yep. <laughs> We're still here wondering what's going to happen next. <laughs> and Chris, Chris Morling is still here and Phil Jones is still here and etc. Oh, you've got to love it, haven't you? I mean, I guess actually we'll start off with the World Cup this summer because, you know, we don't want yeah, to yeah. get too despondent on transfers straight away. I mean, I guess I know that how strongly you feel about that those things at the moment. So let's start off with something relatively happy, nice and fluffy. What a wonderful World Cup this summer. You know, I think a lot of us going into um, proceedings in Russia this summer were somewhat apprehensive considering how many political problems that country's got at the moment. And I was definitely very scared at the prospect of England versus Russia facing, facing each other in a semi-final. But it all seemed to pan out quite nicely. You know, it, it went without incident. The country seemed to, you know, put on its best face and behaved very well. And it was an excellent tournament for football, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, I suppose it was predictable that if, if ever Russia was going to put on a polished face, it was going to be when the world was looking, wasn't it? So I guess we shouldn't be too surprised by that. And everyone who seems to have gone out to the World Cup said the Russian people themselves are actually absolutely lovely. But just in terms of the football, often when you ask people, they always say their, their favourite World Cup was from when when they were kids, one of the World Cups when they were kids. And I'd always have said 1986 was my favourite World Cup because I was 10 and all of the players looked incredibly exotic and it was played in scorching sun in these really weird stadia and everything was great and Maradona was just ridiculously good and everything was just amazing and it was quite quite an entertaining tournament as well. But then, I don't, I don't think anyone particularly expected it, but I think this, this tournament, in my eyes, has probably overtaken 86 as my favourite ever, just simply because the football matches were absolutely ace. Tons of goals, tons of really cool matches. Yeah, it didn't have the problem of 2014 where the group stages were stupidly good fun and the knockout stages were a bit of a damp squib. It was fun pretty just much from going, start to it? finish. If it, it's quite it's quite interesting actually because yeah. the, the goals per game went up quite markedly in the Champions League this year. Um, and we had the same thing in the Champions League, mm. didn't we? You know, usually as you get into the, the knockout stages, the matches tend to get tighter, particularly the first legs. But in almost in every knockout round, apart from United's games, <laughs> both both of the games were really really entertaining, and that's it carried on into the World Cup. And I just I think we're probably just going in a cycle in terms of the, the way tactically and just in terms of the general 
approaches that teams have to, to matches. We're in a much more attacking phase of football and it just all came together nicely. Well, didn't it? I mean, I guess you could argue against that to a certain extent, couldn't you, Rich? Because it was a slightly Mourinho-esque side that won the tournament this year, you know, with a certain £89 million midfielder pretty much yeah. at the helm of well, it, it all. It was, but then I guess, I suppose they, because of the... I think one of the, one of the things you've got these these days, and it's happening, it, it just increasingly happening over time, is the quality of of players, even in the sort of second to third tier nations. They all have very tactically aware players. They have some quite high quality players, and when you've just got all of these teams who've all got quite some quite good players going at each other, then we've got a lot of goals and a lot of really cool games. And it was almost kind of fitting that France actually probably had the best players. But they also just decided to play in a way that was the most consistent, whereas everybody else was just flying at each other. It was like it was like it was like a boxing match where one side was windmilling recklessly forward, and the, and the other guy was just kind of with his guard up, just just jabbing him in the, on the nose. You know, ultimately, I think the team with the best players won, which made it feel okay to me because, um, and also because Paul Pogba was ace, probably made it feel more more okay to mm, me. He really was, wasn't he? You know, and I think there's a sense as well. You know, as an Englishman, I appreciate you won't you won't have the same the same feelings. But it was just a really fun tournament to be to be English. Not I don't want to get into any discussions about how good we were, or how not how not good we were. But it was there was just a feeling that the team, the country reconnected with the team, and we had a good run, and we had a good few piss ups and whatever else. <laughs> but I think we all recognised if we got to the final, we would have got completely humped by France. Um, <laughs> but. But it was just a really, it was a really fun tournament to follow when you had a horse in the race, and it was just mm. a really fun tournament to watch. I mean, to be fair, it, it was pretty fun to watch without a horse in the race. To be honest, Rich, I loved yeah. it. I don't want to make this is a very easy parallel for me to make, but it reminded me quite a bit of the moment that a lot of Welsh fans had back in Euro twenty sixteen, mm. where they. I mean, to be fair, you talked about reconnecting with the England side. I think a lot of Welsh people connected with the Welsh side for the first time. Perhaps ever, you know, we've never yeah. had that level of support before because we never had the chance to go out to a tournament. You know, it was wonderful. It was a really nice moment where they didn't feel untouchable. They felt like a team. They felt like a unit. And there was a real sense of togetherness about it. And you know, I think, yes, you mentioned frequently during the summer about uh, Southgate's tactical shortcomings. And I think you were pretty much spot on. I think, you know, you look at the Columbia game and you look at the Croatia game, when goals happened at key times in those games, Southgate didn't react very well. Well, often the reaction was to bring Eric Dyer on, which was a bad reaction, yeah. shall we say. But the significance of actually getting this England side to the semi-finals of the World Cup pales in comparison to that, just in the sense yeah. that he was able to unite the team. And on a social level, what he's done is absolutely fantastic. And that's not even getting to the fact that you won a bloody penalty shootout. Mm. I have never seen that happen since Euro 96 in a major yeah. tournament. Absolutely incredible scenes. I was stunned. But yeah, it was a great tournament to watch. And it was really nice to see England do well, but have it be a positive experience as well, because there's so much pressure and scrutiny placed on England normally. And I think often that suffocated the team. And it's made for a very poisonous and toxic environment and narrative for far 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 too long and it was nice to see this young team come out and play well I think part of what he did for me Southgate's reign as England manager has been an overwhelmingly positive thing you know I think he he has these tactical shortcomings but he's still a relative novice at this level and you'd hope there are people he'll look he'll he'll look back on on the games and think what could I've done differently there and perhaps approach them differently in future but the way that he's tried to get this England team playing 
he's completely thrown out, you know, the, the kind of old British template of how the England team needs to play. And he's tried to move us on into the same direction that a lot of the Premier League teams are, are playing in. And he's made squad decisions and team decisions and squad decisions that are made on actual need rather than reputation or number of caps or whatever else. You know, he he obviously got rid of Rooney, but, but he's not picked Chris Smalling because Chris Smalling's rubbish at football. And, you know, <laughs> but it is true. But he needed he needs defenders who can pass the ball. So initially, you know, he was favouring a guy like Joe Gomez before he got his injury, who was a teenager at the time, over someone like Chris Smalling, who's 28 and has, I don't know, <clears throat> far too many caps. Although England didn't necessarily play great football for, for periods in the tournament, we can see what he's trying to do. And we can see that hopefully with more time that, that he can develop that further and he can improve himself and he can improve. And I think we've got better players coming through as well. And, and all the, also, Gareth Southgate's an unfathomably nice man. And most mm. of the players are incredibly nice people as well. So we haven't got to watch an England team where we've got to kind of hold the vomit down, cheering on John Terry and... <laughs> and Stevie G and Ashley Cole and whoever else. These are people that I think we actually like. I mean, so it's just a really nice experience. Yeah, I mean, it's probably arguably the most everyman England squad that I can recall in memory. But yeah, I mean, lots of, you know, some positive performances as well. Ashley Young did all right at left back. Still got the exact same limitations that we've been talking about, mostly in that he is a converted winger and, you know, isn't really that great in crossing. But there we go. I thought Jesse Lingard had a pretty decent tournament as well. You know, excellent goal against Panama. Really helped to stretch the defence as well in several games and was a key component in, you know, he was never present for Southgate, wasn't he? It was good to see. I think Rashford was in some ways slightly unlucky not to at least start one of the more important games in that run, just purely because whilst Raheem Sterling was doing some great work in also stretching the defence and running at them, and especially against Croatia, really unsettling teams, he was struggling with his end product. And, you know, perhaps Rashford could have been given a run on the side, but that's not really any great grievance there, to be honest. You know, loads of interesting things to talk about from that tournament. You know, Germany getting knocked out in the group stages. Marcus Rojo with that ridiculous volley (laughs) against Nigeria to get Argentina through with only a couple of minutes left. What an absolutely insane moment. What drove that, man? That defiler of toast to be in the box for that goal it was absolutely ridiculous what a finish lovely moment for them you know and Pogba as well absolutely wonderful to see him lead so well and to perform so well and to offer that sort of consistency in a slightly deeper role you know I think he's given Mourinho quite a bit to think about this summer in terms of how he is actually committed to being a slightly more reserved player on the pitch you know we you know we love he loves to get forward you know we all know that and we love to watch him create. We love to watch him you know, dribble and pass and provide. You know, it's what makes him such an exciting footballer to watch. But this season, sorry, this World Cup was a bit more of a committed defensive disciplined role. And I think he did that really well too. And when he did get forward, I think he was equally destructive than he has been over the course of United's last two seasons. You know, when he gets the chance to anyway, I thought that was great. It's really encouraging to see. I think it's more of a personal issue now in terms of, how does Mourinho get that out of Pogba more frequently? Because you could see what Pogba's like when he's playing under a manager who trusts him, who has a plan and can relate to him. And I think that's been the big problem with Mourinho, especially over this last season. You know, he didn't start off like that. You know, he got the the armband in the Basel game. He had such a great start to the season, but that slowly dwindled away eventually. And 
you know, it ends up looking like it's a rather uneasy situation between the two of them. That's going to be a big thing for Mourinho to try and resolve this season, because arguably, if we're going to do anything in this next 12 months, in this next campaign, Pogba's going to be at the heart of it. And that's still a big question mark going into the new season. And obviously Pogba not being around for the next month or so when he's getting some well-earned rest and recovering and getting his fitness back up. You know, Mourinho's got some things to sort out in the meantime there as well. So we'll see how that one pans out. Um, Victor Lindelof had a great time in Sweden as well, almost like he's not no. a terrible defender. No, he's only been played a bit more, I guess, when it mattered. I think, you know, he's always been far better for uh, Sweden, or he's always looked far better for Sweden than um, United, certainly in those early opening, you know, the first few months that he was at the club. And I think he definitely did improve as we went on. I think one of the biggest issues that he has, that Eric Bai perhaps has as well, although, you know, Bai has injury problems have not helped him at all. You know, those two guys who I think there are very good centre backs in both of them, but they've hardly ever played together. I'm not sure I'm not sure if they've even played a single game in partnership. Maybe in a trio, but I don't think in a duo. Yeah, perhaps in a trio, yeah. I don't think they ever have any two. That to me seems a bit silly because by if he's fit and he's he, we know he was fit for the last couple of months of the season because Mourinho told us several times. Those two together, I think like, they could potentially be a really good combination because Lindelof's very good on the ball, which is really something that Mourinho's was the sort of purported purpose as to why we bought him. And Bailly's just a bit of everything, isn't he? He's a really good athlete. He's a, you know he needs to improve his concentration a bit of things sometimes, but but he's comfortably our best defender on his day, and we just didn't seem to to use them together or even really try to form any partnership between one of the issues is we've got so many centre-backs at the club and Mourinho could never really seem to you know get it together as to who was his favourite part- partnership or who were the who were the, the, the who were in the partnership that pissed him off least <laughs> I guess mm. there was a, an article by Andy Mitten today that I read earlier and he was basically saying that you know we, you can want new players and you know I will argue vehemently the United need two or three new players but Mourinho also needs to get more out of what he's got, mm. and I think if you watched if you watched that World Cup, you saw from all of the players at United what they've got. You saw what their limitations are. You saw what their qualities are. You saw what they can be. And Lindelof played really well. He played certainly as, as well as he's played at United, if not a little better than he's played at United. And that's a guy that Mourinho can't give up on. He can't give up on Bayern. He can't give up on Lindelof. And he's got to try and find a way to get them to play to the, le- the level that we know they can. Mm. And we will get to transfers in a little while. We'll talk about the fact that United seem to be very much after another centre-back this season. You know, we've spoken about this before, and you and I have spoken about it before. You know, we'll come to that in a little while. Uh, a couple of other players to mention as well. Marouane Fellaini and Romelu Lukaku doing big things over at Belgium. You know, got them to the semi-final. Uh, Speaking of Fellaini as well, Rich... <laughs> We haven't yeah. spoken since he signed that new contract. A very pointed yeah. statement from Fellaini, not thanking the fans, because I think he knows full well that plenty of them are not going to be particularly happy with this new contract signing. Look, I don't hate the guy. I mean, I'm no, certainly not on the same level. That, well, I mean, come on, Rich. You said the best thing about Fellaini's I, season is when his contract is going to run out at the end of June. You no, f***ed it, my I friend. You jinxed it. I, I don't I did. I don't hate the man. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I just don't... Don't hate the man, hate the player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My, th- my thing about Fellaini is as long as you've got Fellaini, then it gives the manager the excuse to try and play a certain way. I kind of feel like United need more strings to their bow than we've got at the moment. 
one of the issues I think we had last season was we had one way and that way either worked or it didn't work. You know, like I can see that he has some use if you bring him on when you're a goal down, you want to fuzz crosses into the box and hope he scores one, then great. But I just I just think the play not just him, but Mourinho buys his, you know, hulking brutes of footballers. And I just feel like sometimes we could do with another way to play, which again is an, another reason why I'm kind of really wanting us to sign him proper right winger as well because it just gives us a bit of variation in what we do mm. but now look I mean looking at it now it seems like United are struggling a bit to get players in and if you if we bear in mind that we probably need that right winger probably left back and a centre back then were the club going to be able to get a centre midfielder in again as well in the last 21 days of this ridiculously stupidly hurricanely um, shortened transfer window and I guess the answer is probably not so in light of that Maybe it was the right thing to do to sign him on again and focus on other areas. But I probably won't be saying that the first time he starts in sensible field. Say, and... You've changed your tune. I haven't. I'm just realising that we've got 19 days left and we really need to spend some serious money. It's getting a bit squeaky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think in a more functioning team like Belgium, you can see Fellaini has his uses because he's, swan- he's surrounded by quality footballers. And in comparison with... Genius, yeah. yeah mad, isn't it? I mean, in comparison with France in Euro 2016, Belgium were a lot more high-functioning than they were two years ago. So that certainly helped. And, you know, he certainly had a juices and he helped get them back into that game against Japan. You know, and I think Lukaku yeah. as well deserves a lot of credit. You know, there were a couple of moments, and we both said it, in that semi-final, some of those first touches were Lukaku of a year ago. But his actual overall gameplay, you can see it. It's just a continuation of what we were seeing in the second half of last season, really, wasn't it? Just the awareness and the intelligence on the ball in particular as well. You know, there were so many times when Belgium were playing Brazil in that quarterfinal where De Bruyne and Hazard just were not picking out passes to him. It was so weird when they were on the break. And Lukaku was just, he didn't stop. He kept on running. He kept on making himself available. He kept on getting into good positions despite the players around him who were arguably of what you would consider superior attacking talent, deciding not to pass to him and not actually getting a goal out of it. Mm. But there we go. That's a discussion for another time. But no, a great tournament for Lukaku and Fellaini. Really pleased to see them do well. I mean, more Lukaku than Fellaini, but there we go. Uh, Was there anyone else to bring into the equation? I mean, De Gea didn't have the greatest time with Spain, but Spain didn't have the greatest time regardless. Yeah, let's, let's just move on from that. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's a weird one, isn't yeah. it, with, with Spain and De Gea? You know, I think you can see that there's so much scrutiny on him and I don't think that's particularly healthy. You know, he didn't have a great tournament and he's, his standards are so high. We've watched him be the best goalkeeper in the world now for the last several years. So we're used to him pulling us out of holes and providing us with a good basis for which to do the rest of the things that we're not so great at. And no, he didn't have the greatest penalty shootout, but he's never been the best penalty saver anyway, you know. Shot stopping is his best thing, and he let himself down on a couple of occasions. You know, that goal against Ronaldo, yes, you would expect him to do that. That's a mistake that he makes once in about, what, 18 months or so, if that, when he's playing for United. I think it's a different thing with the Spain side. You know, I think there is a lot more pressure and scrutiny, and it's not so healthy for him. And, you know, in terms of the way that he gets treated by the Spanish press, well, you know, you look at the likes of Marco and AS, and in particular, you saw polls coming up after that game against... Uh, Portugal saying should De Gea be starting goalkeeper you know I I don't think it's some sort of grand conspiracy by the pro Real Madrid media to sort of undermine the fact that he's turned the, the club down but it's not really very conducive to getting the best out of a player that you know can produce better you know it's very impatient 
And it wouldn't surprise me as a result that they is thinking, well, why the hell would I want to go over there and deal with all of this? Because <laughs> it's not going to get any easier if he moves to Royale. Disappointing for him and disappointing for Spain, but they really didn't click into gear at any point during that tournament. It's almost like getting rid of your coach two days before or three days before you play your first game is a really bad idea. No, I mean, they look reasonable in the pre-tournament friendlies and they beat Argentina 6-1 in a really, really good performance. So, you know, they look like they could really have done something. And they've been preparing for that tournament for two years with, with Lopetegui. So to dump him two days before and then just airlift in Hierro, who has very limited and pretty low-level managerial experience, it was just stupid, wasn't it? I, I, I presume they were just thinking that this... This team's been prepped for so long and it's been playing in this style that it'll just come naturally to mm. them. They played some good attacking football, but I think they looked really shaky at the back. It just it just wasn't quite right. And I think also there was a, there was a shakiness in front, of, in front of De Gea that seemed to just affect him as well. He should, well, he should be used to that, really, shouldn't he? Well, I was going to say, you should be, perhaps, perhaps they were, they were not quite as shaky as he was used to, and that affected it. I don't know. I think you're right. I think, I think the way that he's talked about and the way that he's treated in the Spanish media certainly is a benefit to United, I think, when trying to persuade him to stay. Of more benefit will be Madrid just signing Thibaut Courtois this summer. That'd be great, yeah. Uh, and then there'll be absolutely no need to sign him at all, and then they, they won't need to go. I mean, Eternay might be a little bit gutted, but, you know, fair enough. I'm sure she can manage. But yeah, I mean, only... Oh, gosh, what else to talk about? Fred with his grand total of zero minutes for Brazil. Uh, yeah, look brilliant, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He sat on that bench superbly. Matic over for Serbia. I mean, he had a pretty much a Matic tournament, didn't he? He was okay. I get Mourinho saying he yeah. wanted Serbia to go out as soon as possible so he gets a big holiday. Matic had just posted that he's a couple hours from LA, so he's joining up with the team imminently, which is good news, I guess. Yep. I doubt he'd play against, uh, is it San Jose? It's the earthquakes tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, 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 recording this on Saturday. United played Club America two days ago, that 1-1 draw. Juan got the equalising goal. It's nice that everyone got through the tournament without any real injury, and hopefully Fred has over the injury that kept him out of the Brazil team for the entirety of the tournament, because you know I think a lot is going to be on him to slot into that side relatively quickly, I would say. I mean, the idea is that Fred's come in to accent what uh, Matic and Pogba are already providing and make it a 4-3-3, presumably. And you would suggest he's going to be a huge part of Mourinho and United's plans going forward. That's why we spent close to £50 million on him. Nothing's really changed since the last episode, really, Rich, in terms of transfers, apart from Lee Grant coming from Stoke City. You know, we don't know really anything more about Diogo. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, we we were sort of already talking about that one, really, weren't we? You know, and we signed Lee Grant subsequently, which was an interesting move. I guess, you know, it makes a lot of sense if uh, Joel Pereira is going to be going out on loan this year, you know, Mourinho yeah, rates yeah. him very highly and Sam Johnston's finally left the club despite barely ever featuring for us. He's been there for so long, bless him. Got a good move to West Brom. I'm sure he'll do well over there in the championship and perhaps build a good career there. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's fine for Lee Grant. It's a nice, good payday for him. It's experience. You know, he can teach the whippersnappers a thing or two and, you know, he seems like a very nice bloke. So I'm happy for him. But yeah, Fred yeah. and Delo, we know nothing more about them so far. You know, Delo is not going to be available to September, I think Mourinho said. So that's something to consider. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I think you mentioned this as well. A lot of the, a lot of other big Premier League teams are going to be in a similar boat at the minute in the sense that they're going to be missing players from the World Cup. I think it might uh, affect United more than others. You know, Spurs are going to be missing Harry Kane potentially for the first week or so. So that's obviously quite significant for them. I don't know if Arsenal are particularly heavily affected. Spurs missing tons, yeah. aren't they? I think obviously Eric Dyer as well and Trippier, Loris. Hugo Lloris, yeah. Belgian pair at the back, if we haven't bought one of them. 
um, both be missing as well. They've got a lot missing. I think there's really only... I think Liverpool aren't too badly off and Arsenal aren't. But it's going to be plenty missing for City and... Yeah, and Chelsea. You know, I, I think there's other teams that have got got similar... Chelsea's got... So I think there's other teams that have got similar problems. I, I think Mourinho just needs to suck it up and get on with it. Yeah, to be I mean, he, he cut a very, very despondent figure after that uh, first press conference, didn't he? You know, Sanchez has just joined up with the team today and obviously no one could really foresee that those visa issues and you probably could have done if you did enough planning ahead but still it's very indicative of a man who is going to let almost every little thing get in his way this year which is concerning when we haven't even kicked a ball in a competitive fixture uh it's not great you know he was very open and honest about any further signings which is fair enough you know there's been talk about going back in for Perisic but you know United were hesitant to shell out a big sum on him 12 months ago and surely his price tag's only gotten better having done really well for Croatia this summer so I'm not sure how that gets any better you know there's discussions about Toby Alderweireld which I get if Mourinho really wants an experienced central defender you know Alderweireld has been at Spurs for a while he knows the he knows the league he's a great player 40 50 60 million you know Spurs hiking up the price United thought that deal was done I mean I've got to admit I'm not too upset that that deal fell through because Part of me just thinks that Mourinho, is, as we've said before, he's got to get more out of the players he already has. Mourinho's talked, well, I'll say Mourinho's talked, there's been rumours aplenty this summer about United bringing in the centre-back, right? You know, I do think there's definitely an element of outlets linking United with available centre-backs, like Bonucci at AC Milan, for instance, just purely because clubs and everyone know that we're in for another centre-back. That's an easy link to make, even though it's not necessarily true. But there's no talk about anyone leaving, and I think that's a bit of a problem because essentially if you bring another centre back in, you've essentially got six there. You know, you're not going to appease them all. You're going to be ending up with another player sat on the bench earning a large packet, not doing anything for you. That's not great. You know, I think this is part of the thing as well. Is if we're getting actually to this point where money is starting to dry up for Marina because the club wants to see more in the way of results for the players that he has... It's not going to do him any good if he's asking for fifty, sixty million pounds with no plans to move anyone off. No, the only positive flip side I can think of of the change to the transfer window is that you're likely to get players in slight a bit earlier. Or you know, for example, let's say we're trying to get out of IRL, Usually, Spurs will take us to the deadline day, won't they? They'll take you know, Levy will take it to the last minute and glean every last penny out of us. And the problem with that is you don't know whether you're going to get until the end, so you can't sell anybody. The only positive, the closing of the transfer window early, is that Spurs would have we'd have to come to that deal by the 9th of August, which then leaves you 21 days afterwards to sell one or two of your centre-backs. I, I can't imagine we'd sell one without having bought another one first. But quite who we'd sell, I don't know. I can't comprehend why we, we, we'd have given Rocco a new deal. You know, he seems to he seems to adore Smalling and Jones, so who knows? Yeah. I mean, we all hope that, you know, it's going to be Lindelof and Bailly that eventually are able to do that because otherwise, what was the point of Mourinho bringing them in? And Mourinho's done a very good job of getting rid of players from the Van Gaal era that he deemed to be surplus to requirements. You know, it looks like Damian's going. Uh, Daily Blind moved back to Ajax. Good move for him. Good move for Ajax. Good move for United. Yeah, that's pretty much all I can say about that. You know, the club is a little less handsome as a result. And, you know, as I said, it, it's lovely that he scored that goal against Liverpool. And he was really pretty. So that's kind of mm. it. You know, he didn't really feature under Mourinho. There's not really much more to say on that. And neither has Darmian. So if those two leave, that leaves a clutch of four players, I think. Herrera, Shaw, Martial and Romero, 
who <laughs> have remained from the LGV days under Mourinho. And to be honest, the one that's got Mourinho's trust, well, the one who's got most trust in Mourinho is Sergio Romero, and he never bloody plays. <laughs> so that's not ideal. Yeah, I mean, if you look back on LVG's time now, whilst the style of play, the, the way we played was particularly... Dull. Well, it was dull, but, but the thing that undid him, I think, more than anything else was his transfer market stuff. You know, ultimately, he signed 13 players in total, and really, Martial has been the only one that... Well, even now, we're not even saying he's a hit, but he, he's the only one where you look at him and go, you know, shit, he's got... He can be really good. Yeah, we all really um, miss him if he leaves. Yeah, well, yes. But the rest, really not, not fussed. Because, they, you know, ultimately, he spent an awful lot of money on not great players. His transfer... <laughs> Tactics seem to be go away and get me Sergio Ramos or Thomas Muller, and fail, failing that, I'll just buy somebody else who's nowhere, nowhere near as good as them. And, and you'll all think they are because we like to think the new signings are really good and the manager knows what they're doing and whatever else, but they just weren't very good. That was his biggest failing, so it's no surprise that Mourinho's very quickly got rid of a lot of LBG's waste. Um, <clears throat> I just wish that he'd get rid of some of Fergie's waste as well. <laughs> What you mean? You're talking, you're talking about our club captain now. <laughs> no, no, I don't think. I don't think we're going to. We're well, clearly not going to replace Valencia this summer, and, and and I think there are at least three other positions that need strengthening more than him. Mm. But ultimately, let's hope that either Dallo really progresses quite quickly as a you know a very high class right back, or, or we ultimately replace Valencia next summer. But yeah, I, 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 there's there's at least three other people I'd rather replace in, in various positions than him at the moment. No, I'd agree. I, mean, I just wish he could cross, man. Yeah, that'd be lovely. I mean, it'd be good if both of them could cross consistently and that the best crosses yeah. of, our, of the football on the pitch weren't the players who were actually meant to be scoring the goals. Mm, that'd be ideal. Yeah, yeah Rob, Big Romelu. Big Romelu is our best crosser, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's ace. He's so good at it. Food, that yeah. goal for Jesse yeah. against Chelsea was an absolute banger. Great stuff. Just needs to not have to do that all of the time in order for a, quarter, for a crossing goal to work. But there we go. I mean, I guess... You know, we did our last episode towards the start of June and I don't necessarily think a huge amount has changed since then in terms of how I feel about the new season. I mean, you know, the World Cup was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it and it was honestly nice to kind of switch off from things with United for a little while. I did enjoy that. You know, it was something of a slog of a season. You know, it had a couple of high points. You know, beating City was great. Beating Liverpool was good too, but there was... A lot of despondency last season so it was nice to just take a step back from that and watch some football I wasn't hugely emotionally invested in it and just enjoy a fun tournament you know I'm looking forward to United kicking back up you know it's going to be interesting to see how we start with Mata and Martial and Alexis in attack against Leicester for the first couple of weeks of the season I, I think there's still some good stuff to be looking forward to I just think that at the moment I'm not really convinced at all that we're capable of bridging the gap with City unless a lot of pieces fall into place and if Mourinho is yeah. able to change the way he's approached things for the last couple of seasons, you know, if United are able to reclaim the form that they had 12 months ago and carry that on for six, seven months, then who knows? You know, we could be challenging for the title towards the end of the season. But that's not been the case for a long time. And this United team need to learn how to do that again. I'm not convinced that that's going to happen under Mourinho, but I'm not saying the season is going to be a complete dud. There are reasons to be optimistic, but not necessarily that we're going to be able to match City. And I would also suggest that, you know, I would say an aim is to get to the quarterfinals, at least of the Champions League this season. That definitely needs to improve. You know, we, we went out so limply. And I think 
Mourinho in his heart of hearts will know that he needs to do better and United need to do better in that situation should we get through the group stages. I think he needs a serious improvement. You know, it's, it's the third season. He's he's always he's always said in the past that he he should be judged after three seasons. He just can't get away. Not really being in a title race. I don't even think it a pretty dismal defeat in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. I'd say that's par at best. Well, yeah, but Rich, the thing is, looking forward in the future, what are we going to say is what do the club expect from him? This is the thing now, isn't it? Because what do the Glazers, what does the board, what does Ed Woodward want out to get out of United now? You know, we do position ourselves as this big, massive club. And obviously, you know, the public note is that we want to challenge for the Premier League and do well in the Champions League. What's the reality of that? Can you honestly say, is the club backing the manager at the moment to that financial level that you suggest that, yeah, we're going to go full tilt for the title? Because I'm not sure they are. We'll, we'll, we'll know in 19 days. And I think they're an important 19 days. And, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, everyone wants signings, let's not focus on signings. But signings have two purposes, I think. First of all, obviously, you would hope that we could spend money on improving certain positions that unquestionably need better players in, in those positions. But the other is we have to show ambition to the best players that we've already got. And we're trying to get David De Gea to sign a new contract. We want Paul Pogba to stay past next summer. You need your best players to look at the place they are and think, I can achieve everything I want to achieve right here. And if United go into next season without properly investing in top level or close to top level players in positions which we don't have the quality in them, then I think that just sends a message to both De Gea and to Pogba and whoever else that United don't aspire to be the best. Because we know the money's there. We know we have money to spend. We have, we sure as shit have more money than we've spent this summer already. To not really properly invest in the next 19 days and at least a couple of players to fill problem positions, I think sends an absolutely awful message. And I think I think it will give Mourinho a ready-made excuse for the entire season. Every time something goes wrong, just turn around and say, well, I needed new players. They wouldn't give me new players. What do you want me to do? And it just becomes a really toxic situation because you have a guy who's incredible. You know what Mourinho is like when he doesn't get his own way. No, I don't. Please tell me. <laughs> have you never seen before? No, no, no. I've completely missed it the last however many bloody years. <laughs> no, I get it, man. So, I mean, look, yeah, yeah it's going to be... It could get toxic and could get poisonous very quickly if... Mourinho doesn't feel like he's getting the support that he wants. We saw it in Chelsea in his last season there. That turned very, very quickly. And the players only really started trying once he was out the door. I really don't want that to happen at United, but I can see that happening. I hope it won't. You know, I hope things will magically slot into place. And Mourinho might look at changing things in terms of how he relates to a lot of his, some of his players, at least on a personal level. And he's able to get the best out of his more talented options, like Martial, like Mm. Pogba on a more consistent basis. That's not based on certainty at all. You know, that's hope more than out of expectation. But this is just how these things are going to pan out. I've no idea what we're going to be seeing this season. You know, I I hope it's going to be positive and I hope we do see progression. Is it going to be much? I don't know. You know, I think it will say a lot is if United end up with a very similar season to what we've had, some success in the domestic cup competitions, getting to the knockout stages of Champions League, being near the top of the Premier League but not necessarily challenging, if they let Mourinho stay on for another season, then it wouldn't shock me if he sticks around and United are happy to have him there. Just that would send the biggest message that this is what we are now settling for as a club. And yeah. it wouldn't necessarily shock me if that happens. But regardless, you know, we've got a couple of questions to get through, Rich, there, because we've, we've really... 
we've really set our expectations very low for this season, which is fair enough. But here we go. Before we go any further, before we go on to questions, Richard, I've mentioned it. 100 episodes. Amazing, huh? 100 episodes. Just how, how many hours is of that is of me and you talking absolute nonsense? I mean, two, Amazing. I'd say. <clears throat> yeah, at least two. We've, it's two very high quality chatter, I'll have you know. Yeah, it, is, it is really, yeah. And just uh, just yeah. to talk about that high quality chatter for a moment, uh, it's worth sending a massive thank you to everyone who's been involved in the podcast. So that's our good friend Kev Thomas who helped set this up with us. That's Paul Gunning. That's Harriet Drudge. Our friend James. Yeah, and it's Phil Hartup as well. And we've many thanks to the guests that have been involved: Paul Ansorg, Musa Kwanga, Miguel Delaney. It's been an apt and Daniel Harris as well. It's been an absolutely superb time doing this podcast all for you. We're so grateful that after 100 episodes, so many of you are still sticking around, still talking to us, still enjoying what we do. If you do enjoy what we do to the point where you might be fancying throwing a couple of quid away, we do have a facility just for that. If you pop over to www.redvoices.net slash donate, then you can send us a couple of quid per month or just once by PayPal, whatever you wish. Just even £1 a month would be great in just in terms of helping us with our running costs. Every little helps. That'd be wonderful. If you don't want to, don't worry. Nothing's going behind a paywall. We'll still put in as much effort as we always have done into this podcast. But if you would be so inclined, that'd be absolutely wonderful. Anyway, now on to the questions after that wonderful ad break. Uh, our friend James asks, of the United players at the World Cup, who has had the best and worst time? Pogba clearly had the, had the best time. Absolutely, yeah. I'd say Matic probably had the worst time, but that's purely because he went out in the group stages, and I think he was the only one to do that. Yeah, I think he was. But I don't think he had an yeah, absolute yeah. stinker. I mean, I think Rocco probably had no. a more despondent journey across the whole of the tournament. Didn't he give away a... Pa- yeah, he, he clattered and backed yeah, and I, brought him down in that <laughs> last 16 tie, didn't he? I think in terms of overall performance, Rocco, apart from that goal, was, was a bit rubbish. So I'd say perhaps he had the had the weakest tournament. Although Matthews went out earlier. At Jeff is offline, please rate Fred's tournament out of 10. Uh, it was an absolute zinger, I think. Um, Scintillating. He wore the Brazilian tracksuit very, very stylishly. Uh, Michael Walsh asks, why couldn't Sterling or Kane score? Now, do you want to answer this as the Englishman in the podcast right now or me? Jesus. Kane just Kane just never looked sharp. I think he's, he's probably been carrying injury. Raheem Sterling has trouble with shooting. And at City, he just gets millions of chances and they, they're all about three yards out. Whereas for England, he actually has to try and do hard stuff. Apart from the open goal that he missed. It was just unfortunate, I thought. But you you tell me as a Welshman. Well, Sterling didn't score because he kept missing chances, which is my insight into that one. Mm. Kane looked like, as the tournament wore on, he just was looking less and less fit. You know, it wasn't necessarily as able to get into space as he had been. And to be honest, apart from that Sweden game, the service kind of dried up to a certain extent, didn't it? You know, obviously the calibre of the opponent got better and England found it far much more difficult to create chances. The question is not, why did they not score? The question is, why did Harry Kane not square the ball in the semi-final to Raheem Sterling, who had a tap-in? Well, you know... 1-0. Things happen so quickly in a football match, Rich. And... Yeah, but he's Harry Kane. He's supposed to know everything. He's supposed to be the <laughs> best striker in the world. I think you'll have to ask him that one, mate. I mean, that was that was the moment, really, wasn't it? At that point, had he scored that one, England 2-0 up, that's potentially a final that they would have lost anyway, but still, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tariq yeah. Amir asks, if the World Cup made an impression, philosophically, on Mourinho, do you think it only hardened his view on how football should be played or altered his outlook somewhat? I would say, considering that Didier Deschamps played with a very powerful but disciplined approach that was not based on overwhelming teams with their attacking display despite the fact that they ripped apart Argentina and Croatia in two of their more interesting games in that tournament 
I didn't think it made much of an impression on him at all, apart from the fact he thought maybe I need another right winger. Do you reckon? Do you reckon Mourinho watched most of that tournament in absolute disgust? God, all the, the attacking play, uh, the the frivolity of it all, the uh, people going out and having fun in the sun. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Roy Keane levels of disgust, wouldn't it? Oh God, don't talk to me about Roy Keane. How 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 disgusted was Roy Keane about the the penalty that's given in the final? I've never seen Roy Keane, a man who is regularly disgusted by lots of things. I've never seen him that disgusted. Alan Shearer was equally angry. Did you not see Roy Keane? I don't know. All right, I'm going to point put this out there, Rich. I don't like Roy Keane. No, I don't like Roy Keane. I don't either. like watching him at all. I don't find him interesting. No. I found him a dour bastard. I couldn't deal with Keown, though. That was the problem. I couldn't deal with listening to Keown. I had to flip over. Keown's yeah. to the left of me, Keane's to the right. Here I am, stuck on the middle yeah. with the mute button. Yeah. <laughs> Samurai Jack asks, on the scale of 1 to 10, with 100 being how much Rich despises Mourinho's dour antics and all the deadwood at the club, what would Rich's ideal transfer window be? And who would he ideally have as manager? Oh, Christ. we we'll have to change manager. Oh, God. Sarri could be quite fun. Do you know what? Sarri's first press conference this week made me really sad. He basically just sat there and said how football is supposed to be fun and how that all of the players should enjoy it. It's an entertainment as well as a game. And, and it should just be something that brings pleasure to us all. Aww. And that made me really sad because then Mourinho sat down a day later and said that how everything in the world was bad. <laughs> everything, everything was bad. The world was, you know, the, the heavens are falling in. The world is bad. The football is bad. Everything's terrible. And that made me sad. It would be nice just to have a coach who had a similar attitude to football as as Mr. Sarri. What about Bielsa? No, Bielsa's football is just batshit. <clears throat> he wears teams out quicker than Mourinho does. Mourinho takes the three seasons to do it. Bielsa just destroys them body and mind by Christmas. So <laughs> he's at Leeds watching, as well. It'll, it'll be fun watching Leeds in January. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> if I had to say, we're not going to get three players, I don't think. I, a, a, a right winger, a proper right winger, not called Willian, and decent left back. So an Alexandro or... I really like Alex Tellers at Porto. I think he's a good left back. Mm. But we need a proper left back with a left foot who's capable of doing defending and the attacking and crossing bit. That would be ideal. At Jeff is offline again. Two questions. Favourite game, favourite goal, best player, worst player, Fellaini best contract signing since... Favourite game was a toss-up for me between Serbia versus Switzerland because it was so much open and fun. Um, even if a current Liverpool player did score the winning goal, that was great. That was a wonderful game to watch. Or mm. Japan versus Belgium, if only for the heartbeat, sorry, the heartbreak of the Blue Samurai getting knocked out in those circumstances because they did so, so well to take lead against Belgium. And Lukaku's step over. Lukaku's step over in that game for the, it was for the winning goal. It? Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Best player of the tournament? I mean, Hazard was pretty great. Modric got the golden ball. Ball, that was the one. Yeah, I was about to say golden boot, but that's for players like Harry Kane who can't score in the knockout stages. Yeah. Uh, worst players? Um, I don't know, Rojo. Most of the Argent- Argentine defence, all of them. Otamendi had a bit of a stinker. Yeah, the, the entire Argentine defence was just absolutely laughable for the for the whole tournament. I've not seen him before. I signed him on Football Manager once. Nicolas Tagliafico. Mm-hmm. Formerly, I think, of Independiente, but now of Ajax. Yeah. And um, I appreciate he was a left kind of a left back, left wing back, trying to play centre back, but he was bloody awful. And having to deal with Otamendi and Mascherano and who else was Nick Mercado played once, I think. And it's just a carousel of uselessness. 
<laughs> which was fun because 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 we because certainly I as an Englishman don't feel too disappointed when Argentina lose football matches. No, of course not. Last question uh, at Red Stephen seventy six: How much alcohol will be consumed by United fans next season to help numb the pain of the inevitable misery? Good God, people, come on! I mean, yes, Mourinho is looking dour. Yes, he's looking a bit sad. Yes, we might not assign as many players as he'd liked, but it could be worse. Could be boys. Do you know, looking back now... What? Oh, God. Looking back now... No, no, no. It's not as bad as it sounds. I actually enjoyed the Moyes season more than I enjoyed LVG's second season. Possibly all of LVG. I know we're a bit... Well, I know we're a poorer overall. We obviously finished lower in the league. But there was still an element of jeopardy to the whole thing and a bit of excitement. Mm. And sometimes we scored lots of goals as well. I only came to this revelation the other day. And I got to the point where I despised both of them. The sight of both of them so it didn't really make any difference. That's whether true. I was looking at LBG or Moyes. Apples and orange people. Yeah, I mean, I know we're comparing two horrifically terrible things. I tell you I tell you the thing about last season, why I'm struggling to really get excited about this season is that I felt, I got I found myself feeling a level of ambivalence at the end of last season that I felt at the end of LVG's time. Mm. And, and yet, you know, we were higher in the league and whatever else, but the way that season ended, particularly, was just absolutely, the football was dire really dire and I could remember we were in a cup final and I really struggled I wanted to you know obviously I was excited to be in a cup final but I really struggled to believe that we could really put on a performance against the Chelsea team who I don't think had as much quality as us and it was just kind of I just felt this inevitability about it because we'd just been so dire and we you know we'd attacked so slowly and so predictably in the couple of months before the final you know I guess we could say oh false dawns again and stuff but it would just be really nice if United came out again this season and really put in a few performances that got us as excited as we were at the start of last season yeah just to get that back you know to get that energy back into us and then whatever happens after that you've got a bit more energy to deal with it Um, (laughs) and maybe just maybe it'll carry on you know Uh, that's what that's what we really need we need we need the season to excite us at the start to really draw us back into it yeah sure I mean I think to me I'm not necessarily basing a lot of my, I say a lot of, I don't have an overabundance of optimism, but I'm basing a lot of it on the players that we've got now and the ones that we've potentially brought in, in well, mostly just Fred, really, and the sense that, you know, you hope Sanchez is going to be better, you think Martial might improve and finally get that form that he had back under LBG, back from Reno on a more consistent basis if he gets a run of games. Maybe Luke Shaw will come out, you know, he's looking very determined this summer. I'm basing my optimism on our players, not so much the manager, which I think is probably a bit healthier. But we'll see, won't we? You know, we'll be back in a couple yeah. of weeks when we get a bit close to the season. That opener in Leicester is coming up in, good grief, just under three weeks now. Criminy. Mm. That'd be a laugh, wouldn't it? Anyway, Rich, an absolute pleasure to kick the season off with you. I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Ditto. And you, mate. Cheers, man. Right, guys, thank you very much for listening. Episode 100. Good grief. You've really stuck with us this evening and all throughout the rest of our time here. I'm sure you've heard me say this a hundred times already, but don't forget, you can get us all over Twitter. You can get Richard at RichardCan76. You can get me at Leonard, and you can get the pod at at RedVoicesMUSC. Any further information on our podcast at RedVoices.net. Have yourselves a superb rest of this month of July. We'll speak to you soon. Take care. Goodbye. (laughs) 